Yes, 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 yes. We are, uh, as you've already heard, in an exciting season. Got lots going on. Uh, I've got my boss going to be here next Sunday. I expect you to be on your best behavior. Don't you get me reprimanded or in trouble with my boss when he's here. Uh, I'm assuming his, uh, his wife is also going to accompany him, and, and they're going to be here to be, be able to see the, 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 the blessing that God has given us. And they've been anxious. He's been texting me. Uh, he's excited to be here. I'm excited to recognize our staff uh, next week, and, and you need to come early if you're going to get a seat because we're going to have to be reserving some seats here in the front for our staff and because we're going to have a program for them. And It's an exciting time. We're going to baptize people. We're going to have a baptism up at the pavilion uh, out, outdoors, and that way, even if it rains, we've got because God's given us that lovely piece of property that we can uh, take advantage of. So uh, Get involved. Get plugged in. God, it, it, listen, I know COVID, everybody got nervous, and everybody's been shut down, and you've been isolated. We got, we're on the victory side, and, and it's time that we start breathing again and, and living again and shouting again and smiling again, and, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. My sermon title is, Would Somebody Please Turn On the Light? Would somebody please... Turn on the light. Last week, we learned something about ourselves. And that one simple lesson was, we're not normal. You looked at your neighbor last week and told them, you're not normal. Some of you didn't believe that. If you'll look at your other neighbor this morning, they'll confirm it. Oh, yeah, they were right. I'm going to begin at the same place we began last week, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read those scriptures again together this morning we did this last week we're going to do it again this week this is not a continuation of last week but we we're going to build on what we talked about last week because I knew that I had these two sermons that I was going to preach between when I stopped my series and when Bishop and Jeff Wolf will be here uh, next Sunday night I'm looking forward to have a Sunday night church again I'm looking forward to that uh, God is moving I'm, I'm claiming and I'm believing that it's a breakout moment, it's a breakthrough moment, that some of you, some of you don't know that we're Pentecostal because you come on Sunday mornings and you've always had pastor light. And I don't, I'm not saying that because I lost 60 pounds this year. I'm saying you've only seen Sunday morning me. Sunday morning me and Sunday night me and Raymond Wednesday me ain't the same me's. Uh, there, there's, there's always this different anointing that God flows in because Sunday mornings when we get our visitors, Sunday mornings when we're very, uh, kind, we try to be uh, uh, direct with our schedule and with our program. And, and Sunday mornings always had a, its own anointing, and Wednesday nights had their own anointing. But Sunday nights, Sunday nights was our blowout. And I'm believing that this is going to be one of those services. I believe we're about to t take a turn. I'm, I'm not going to say too much what I'm feeling in my spirit and my private prayer time, but I'm believing that we're about to take a turn, that something important is about to happen. Uh, our, this church has already came through so many important milestone moments since last year when we signed the, the, the note for this church on Valentine's Day of 2020 and then we went through the pandemic and we opened in November and here we are and we just made our first two hires and, and, and I'm telling you, things are happening. God is good and we're about to see, I believe we're about to take a spiritual turn the likes of which we have not yet seen before. We've seen a lot of things but I'm thinking a harvest is on its way. Folks are about to get saved in record numbers. So 1 Peter chapter 2 is going to be integral in you believing that this morning. I want you to read it with me. Ready? Read, beginning with verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of what? Out of what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to I reemphasize that before I go on. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That didn't say bishop. It said you. And you is you. You is, and if you're from where I'm from, it's all y'all. It, you so many times and especially since we've came through the pandemic and we've become isolated and we've built our little huts and we've become standoffish and we don't like people no more and we don't want people looking at us or breathing at us or getting within six feet of us I'm gonna tell you something there was a real pandemic and real people died from it and real people got sick from it but the enemy used it as a tool to separate isolate and violate God's people I'm telling you, he took that mindset, twisted it, warped it, and caused us to be standoffish. And God doesn't allow his people to be standoffish. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. So what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? What exactly does it mean when, when Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood? I told you last week that that should mean that you walk in authority. Now, I'm about to make some of y'all mad because you like TV preachers. But that whole walking in authority thing has been perverted for a long time. Because they take it to mean that you ought to be able to walk around and everything goes right for you. Especially if you send checks to them. Because then your, your, your whole life, your kids will get saved. Your life will be better because you're sending in blessed checks and sowing a seed into the kingdom. And, but what does it really mean for us to walk in authority? Let me rephrase the question. What exactly do we need authority for? Does God simply want us to have authority so we can boss the devil around? In the last 30 to 40 years in the church... We have talked a lot about spiritual authority. My next series is going to be called Trapped. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk about things that trap us as Christians. And a lot has been made in the last four decades about spiritual warfare. But do we need authority just to boss the devil around? Is that what he gives us authority for? I'm going to tell you this morning that you need authority for something far more important than giving the devil his due. Because I'm going to tell you something before I get started. It has nothing to do with my sermon. You already have authority over the devil. Authority was won at the, over the devil at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And nothing you can do to make that any more powerful and nothing he can do to make it any less powerful. The devil has already been defeated. He's not waiting on you to take authority over him because heaven already has his foot on the devil's neck. So what do you need authority for? If you're a royal priesthood and they had authority, what do you need authority for? Well, I'm glad you asked. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light. Of where? Of Weirton? Of Steubenville? I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, 
you won't walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads you to life. Now, some people in this room and some people watching online this morning have experienced great moments of darkness. Some of you are probably fighting great moments of darkness right now. Whether it's in your private life, whether it's in your family life, whether it's about business thing, you're fighting great moments of darkness. So the question is, what do you do when you're in a dark place? Can I explain something very simple to you, and you probably learned it in fourth or fifth grade? There's only one way out of darkness, and that is to turn on the light. I mean, it's real simple that if you want out of darkness, you just have to flip the switch. Because the only thing that darkness cannot tolerate is light. And if you don't believe me, go into a room, shut the door behind you, and say, Darkness, I can't stand you. See how good that works for you. Or how about this? You walk into a dark room, shut the closet door behind you, and say, It is not fair how dark this room is. I feel, I feel violated by the darkness in this room. I feel triggered because this room is so dark. And see if the darkness just leaves because you have a pity party over how dark everything is. No, the only thing that darkness will give way to is light. And what is true in the natural is just as true in the spiritual. Jesus said, I am the light. Not a light, the light. Not a light for some people, but a light for the whole wide world. He didn't say that he was just a light for Republicans. Oh, I knew I wouldn't get a whole lot of amens right there, but you can just take your opinion and sit on it because Jesus said he's the light for the whole world. That means the Democratic side too. That means the folks that don't look like you, don't have the same skin color as you, don't vote like you, didn't work like you worked. He is in it to win it for everybody because he does not discriminate. You got to go to church to find mess like that. Heaven don't discriminate. Jesus said, I am the light of the whole world, and when life is at its darkest, light always shines its brightest. Of all the things that Jesus could compare himself to, he compared himself to light. And what he was saying was this. What light is to the physical world, what this light is doing to me right now, he said, I'm going to do to the spirit realm. I'm going to take my essence and shine it into the darkness and you will no longer have to worry about the darkness that, that surrounds your spirit because I will shine a light right through it. And you won't ever appreciate the value of light until you realize how dark it is where you are living. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something, Promise of Victory, because our attitude and our mindsets are about to shift. Because we're about to develop a culture in this building where we stop trying to make church about us. Because there are millions of people living in spiritual darkness, and unless something changes, they will die in spiritual darkness. And I, for one, cannot tolerate the thought of anybody who knows my name dying and going to hell. Jesus came for one purpose, to expose to the world how dark they were living. Light gives you the ability to see things that were always there, 
but you couldn't see it until the light came on. You realize when you wake up in the morning, all the stuff in your room didn't appear when you flipped the switch. It was there all night long even though you couldn't see it because the darkness hid what had always been there. Because you can't see anything until you bathe that thing in light. Let me give it to you like this. And again, I learned this in about 7th or 8th grade science. I'm sure you did too. When you look in the mirror, you're not really seeing you. You're seeing a reflected version of yourself that is coming from light waves. If you stand in front of a mirror and turn the light off, you disappear. The good news is you only disappeared from the mirror. You're still in the room. But because there's no light there, you can't see yourself. You are in the dark. And some of us come to church for years. And until the light shines on our situation, we don't realize how dark it is where we are actually living. We may join the church, we may help at church, we may sing at church, we may preach at church and still not realize how dark it is where we are living until the light penetrates the darkness, illuminates the room and shows us what we were missing all this time. Promise of victory as a church, our number one job is to get people out of the dark. And in order to do that, we have to show them first that they're in the dark and the only way for us to do that, listen, you can't beat them over the head with a 10-pound Dake Bible. You can't preach at them. You can't get snobby with them. You can't upset them. Into I'm going to tell you something that nobody else has the backbone, but I'm just old and cantankerous. You will never, ever, never, never, never argue somebody into salvation. But you will love them. You can love them into salvation. We have turned this thing upside down. And I have one question. Would somebody please just turn on the light? I know you got opinions. You post them all over Facebook. I know you got theories and ideas. And I know you bought into this and you bought into that because you put it all on display for everybody to see. But would somebody please just turn on the light? Because our number one job is to get people out of darkness. And that will never happen until we shine the light where they can see it. And we have to do more than just shine the light. We have to be able to show them the light. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. My story is about to take a twist that you probably didn't see coming. You are the light of the world. Hold on right there. I thought Jesus just said he was the light of the world. And now he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. So he is the light. But here he's saying, we are the light. Now how does that work exactly? I'm glad you asked. He is the light that shines in us. That's why when it comes to you telling people about yourself, your opinion's never going to get them out of darkness. Your education will never get them out of darkness. How many degrees 
you got after your name will never get them out of darkness. Counseling doesn't get people out of darkness. Step programs can help and they're beneficial, but they never get people out of darkness. There's one thing that gets people out of darkness, and that is when somebody has bold enough to go over and flip the switch and let the light come in. Now, I don't have time to get into all seven of them, but Jesus in the, in the Gospels called himself seven things. He said, I'm the door. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He called himself seven things. Of those seven things, he only referred to us as light. He never called me the door. He never called you the vine. But what he did say is, I'm light and I share my light. He didn't say, I'm the good shepherd and I make you a good shepherd. He didn't say, I'm the vine and I make you a vine. No, no, no. The only thing of the seven ways he described himself, he said, the only thing I share with you is my light. I will shine my light through you. Now, in the daytime, if you go outside, when service is over and you finally are, are let out, you will see that the sun is illuminating the daytime. And then at night, we give credit to the moon. But you learned, like I did in elementary school, that the moon really doesn't create any light. It reflects the light of the sun. Without the sun providing light, the moon would be as dark as we are, and your nighttime would look distinctly different if there was no reflected light. The sun, the sun's not even where you are. The S-U-N may be in China, but because the S-U-N is shining on the moon, the moon is reflecting that light to where you are, and you are able to walk through your backyard without stubbing your piggy toe on everything in the yard, because not because the moon gives light, but because the moon reflects light. And I'm talking to a room full of people who don't have light within themselves, but your job is to reflect the light everywhere you go so folks who are in in darkness can see what they couldn't see. We've got this thing mixed up. I'll get into that in a moment where we have turned this into about us. And he said, I make you my light not because I want you to shine your light to each other. People that have light don't need light. Folk that already got light don't need yours. People that are in darkness need your light. And the S-U-N and the S-O-N both show up brightest when the world is the darkest. When light hits an object, one of three things happens. I'm not getting all sciencey on you. But when light hits something, that something takes on waves in one of three ways. Number one, those waves are absorbed. Number two, those waves are transmitted through the object. And number three, the object reflects. Okay, so you either absorb it, it goes through you like a windowsill, or you reflect it. You absorb it, you let it pass through you or you reflect it as it is in the natural 
so it is in the spiritual. Some of us absorb the light. We come to promise a victory on Sunday, and we soak up the word, and we soak up the praise, and we get in our car, and we stick our little light in our glove box, and it'll stay there until next Sunday. Some of us let the light pass through us like the window on your house. The light passes through. But do you know this about light when it passes through an object? It distorts. You can see a window in your house. The sunbeams will be coming in, but when it passes through the glass, it twists the light. It distorts the waves. Some of us distort the light because the way we live on Monday don't match the light that we were shining on Sunday. Y'all not going to help me right there. But what I came here to do this morning is to inspire a generation of believers to start reflecting the light. Because God didn't call you to hear the word and to just be a cheerleader for Jesus on Sunday. He called you to reflect what he has given you to a lost and a dying world that desperately needs the light. It is nothing short of criminal to live in a world of darkness and keep the light to yourself. The place you share your light isn't inside the church. Can I just get real and personal with you? God did not call. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get that twisted. We need to come to church. Because you know what happens when you get in here. We recharge your batteries. That, that we, we put oil in your lamp when you come in here. However... You shouldn't be just shining your light to other lights. So if you're in the dark, you need to get to the light. But if you're in the light, you need to shine in the darkness. Would somebody please turn on the lights? You need to shine the light that you're reflecting in dark places. I'm going to get real personal here for a few moments. Is that all right? Because a torch that is not lit is useless. A flashlight that never gets turned on is powerless. A match that never gets struck is fruitless. A candle who never gets lit is worthless. And a Christian who doesn't give light in dark places is not worth God saving. Oh, I know, I know I'm messing with some of y'all's sensibilities because you thought you got saved for you. But God never saved any of us just for us to sit on what he gave us. He saves us and then sends us. I don't even want to get ahead of myself because I'm going to be doing that in a minute. But he saves us to send us into dark places. So we have to pay attention to what we're doing. But I wonder, what exactly do we do? What do we got this authority for? What has he placed? A royal priesthood has authority. What has he given us authority for? Once you got saved, what did you start doing? Coming to church? Goody on you. You changed your geographical location on Sunday mornings and that's it. 
That's what you changed when you got saved? The king of glory stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, stepped onto the dusty streets of Galilee, spent 33 and a half years living a sinless life. He let him beat him, scourge him, pluck his beard, spit in his face, call him names, hang him high, stretch him wide. He bled until he died. They took him down. After three days, he rose again, and he did all that so you could go to church on Sunday. He endured everything hell had to throw at him so you could sit in an air-conditioned room on Sunday mornings when you feel like coming. I'm pretty sure there's more to it than this. Listen to what the Scripture said. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are my special called people. But what are you called to exactly? I came from the old church, small churches where there was only two jobs. Well, three. You worked in the nursery, you preached, and you sang. So every time somebody got saved, nobody wanted the nursery. So everybody got a microphone, and everybody wanted to sing a special, or everybody wanted to preach. And if they preached one time, and they found out they couldn't do that, well, bless God, everybody had a special. And we had 20 minutes of singing after, or 20 minutes of preaching after four hours of singing every service. Because it was the only jobs in the church. But what we, what we ended up doing was we internalized a job that was never meant to happen inside the building. He gives us a calling and he gives us authority not to be used here. Please understand where I'm coming from because I grew up in this. I've always been Pentecostal. And there was a day that when I got saved and when I was coming up in this church, they practically would hand you a list of stuff at the door of the worldly stuff that we just don't do. And the truth is, you do everything you do for passion. Some of you guys on Sunday mornings can't wait for church to get out because your passion is running around a field up in Pittsburgh, and you got to get there and get your wings and your drinks ready so you can sit there and scream profanities at somebody that don't know your name. And you are 60 pounds overweight and haven't touched a ball in 19 years, and you're like, I could have made that catch. Newsflash, no, you couldn't. You would have never made it out of the tunnel without having to go. <gasps> another sermon for another time. Let me explain something about passion. We usually have more passion about the things of this world than we do the things of God. Now, I didn't say you don't come to church because we do religious stuff real well. We just do most of our religious stuff without real passion. Let me explain what I mean by that. If I'm in love with my wife, she has my heart, but she has the rest of me too. I can't just tell her as my wife, I love you, you got my heart, but I'm going to go spend some time with another lady. Because if she, better not. Because if she's got my heart, she's got the rest of me. So if I love Jesus, but I only try to love him with my heart, 
and I throw my passion at a million other things, well, then I have to question if I really love him or not. Because if he has my heart, he's got the rest of me with it. So if you keep your heart out of faith and you're just trying to follow a bunch of rules, that's what we used to do in the church. We used to tell people as soon as they got saved, here's the rules. We don't do this and we don't do this and we don't do that. But if you're only following a set of rules, you will soon start feeling unworthy. Or you will get bored of this thing and you will find somewhere else to put your passion. But the thing that happened to me was I fell 110% teetotally in love with a Jesus. And he has my heart and he's got the rest of me. And if I had to live single, he's got me. And if I had to do it married, he's got me. And he's got me when I got work. He's got me when I got laid off. He's got me whether I got education or I don't. Nothing matters except pleasing him. He's got me. If you get passionate about him, the light will shine no matter what happens in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Paul gets real personal. That's why I never hesitate to do it. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. This says you are a letter. You are a letter being read by somebody. Okay, so I run an online business. Last year during the pandemic, USPS was a train wreck. Mail wasn't showing up where it was supposed to show up. Some of it still hasn't been delivered. They got overwhelmed because everybody had to stay home all of a sudden and was mailing everything, and they got overwhelmed, couldn't handle it, and mail simply got lost. I was mailing out stuff that customers never got. Let me ask you a question. If you put a stamp on a letter, you remember when we used to write letters? You tell somebody to send somebody a message today, it's all like this. But you remember the old-timey way, right? You'd sit down, lick the ink, and you'd, you'd write off a letter, put an envelope, lick that nasty stuff, seal it up, put a stamp on it, address it, and put it in the mail. Remember that? Does anybody, is anybody old enough to remember mailing letters? Let me ask you a question. If you mail your grandma a letter, and it doesn't show up at grandma's. Do you say grandma's lost or the letter's lost? Because even though the letter was sent to grandma, it got lost on the way. So I know that the world is in darkness and they're the ones that's lost, but somehow I wonder if the letter that was written from heaven as a love letter to a lost and a dying world didn't get lost in transit because some of us have been sent into some dark places and we didn't show up where we, y'all ain't gonna help me. Uh, 
And we didn't show up where we were supposed to show up. So sometimes I wonder who really is lost. I wonder if on our way to get read, we got lost. I wonder if sometimes if the church is not the lost love letter of heaven that's been written to a lost and a dying world. When you go into the workplace, you're a love letter. When you go to Walmart and the lines are too long, told you I was going to get personal. When you go to your kid's ball game and they have to set the bench and the coach's kid gets to play, you are a love letter. See, it's getting quieter with every one of these. When you stand in front of a preacher, a judge, a shaman or somebody, and he says, do you take this rascal that you hold out a hand to be your everlasting lovey-dovey, squeezy-smeezy-poo, and you look at him and you say, I do, I do, I do. You are being sent into hostile territory. You are going behind enemy lines with very little ammunition. You are being put in a position where you are constantly going to have to fight the darkness to keep your little light shining. When you go on Facebook, does your love letter actually get delivered on Facebook? Because I've read some of yours. Now, I'm going to get blocked after this because some of y'all are going to say, I'm not changing my Facebook post, but I'm just going to block Pastor from being able to see him. So I, I'm fully aware that I, some of y'all will go ghost on me after this sermon because I see some of y'all's posts and I'm like, that is not letting the light of Jesus shine. Because I understand you got ideas and I understand you got opinions and I understand that you got attitudes and I understand that you've got moments where you tell, this is a teachable moment so I can tell the masses that follow me that this is the truth and this. But the problem is with this, you're not called to educate them about the things of the world. You're called to be a light for heaven so that the love letter can be delivered to the lost. The church should never be fighting with people. We should be fighting for people. I've been guilty of myself. I've been guilty of myself of getting lost on the way to the message. I, I, I used to argue theology. I won't anymore. If you want to meet me at this back door and tell me I don't believe in tithing, I'm going to say, God bless you. Oh, I used to argue. Not anymore. If you want to meet me at the back of the site, and I'm a oneness theologian and I don't believe in the Trinity, God have mercy on you. If you want to argue with me that Jesus Christ is really the bunny rabbit wrapped up in a Santa outfit, and, and, and that everything I've preached today has been heresy, I'm going to say, God bless you. i got to be on my way. I'm not arguing theology because you know what? While you have ears that are stopped, there's somebody behind you that needs to hear, and I've, got, I've been sent as a love letter to them. 
And some of us are casting our pearls before swine and we constantly feel like we have to argue every point and we have to dot everybody's I's. But can I tell you, I have been lost as a love letter from heaven trying to get my points across or to support my ideas. I've been lost trying to hold on to my preferences because I hate change. And the reason that we have so much passion for everything in the world and we don't have enough passion for the one thing that we were called to be consumed with which is the light who is Jesus Christ so we keep asking for authority but do we really only want authority to help us have an easier life or for the reason that God wants us to walk in authority because God wants us to have authority in the presence of people that are trying to avoid the light because he thinks it's more important to send you into hostile territory than it is for you to be comfortable. He thinks it's more important that we tell people about him than argue about what's going on in the news. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 14. If I haven't made you upset yet, Look at your neighbor and say, now's the time. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 14. Jesus is talking to his Father in heaven. I just blew that oneness doctrine out right here. Jesus is talking to his Father. I have given them your word. A lot of what we give them is well, the studies show this about a vaccine, and the studies show this about the virus, and the study shows this about Israel, and the studies show this about the Palestinians. And the, whose word are you giving? Are you giving Fox News, which is one thing. If you're giving CNN, it's another thing. Are you giving, oh, I've got these underground methods of getting the truth. But whose truth? Because Jesus said, your word is truth. Whose word are we sharing, Really? I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you. Y'all going to get upset with me. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I wonder if that ever got your attention. Because Jesus is praying, and here's what he says. Let me qualify what I'm not saying. I'm not saying for you to get saved and get in your holy huddle of bless us, no, no more, our four, no more, amen. I'm not qualifying you to become a Christian and hide your light under a bushel basket. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe. Why do you need to be safe from the evil one in the church? Because that's not where you're supposed to shine your light. You got to go into enemy territory. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them 
end of the world. I, I sometimes wonder if that last verse has been taken out of a lot of Christians' Bibles. Because we sure spend a lot of time trying to avoid the very place that God's told us to go into. I told you, did you see how quiet it got? We spend a lot of time condemning and judging and arguing with and writing Facebook posts about the very place that Jesus himself said, I'm not praying for you to escape, but instead I put you smack dab in the middle of trouble so you can make a difference. Let me bring that down a notch for you. I'm not praying, Jesus said, for you to get out of that workplace because that's the reason I put you there. You're the only Jesus them people's ever going to hear. I'm not praying for you to get out of that marriage. I put you in that marriage because you can sanctify your spouse with the trouble that they see on your face, but you keep giving me glory. I'm not praying that them kids will get away from you. I'm praying you got to deal with them because them babies need to see the Jesus that's in you. Let your light shine. Would somebody please turn on the light? He said, I'm not praying you escape this. I put you there. You want authority. That's what you, you're going to need it. Not so your life will be easy. So you can survive the evil one. This is your job description. But we're scared of the world. We're mad at the world. And God calls us into the world because we, and because we have a messed up image of the Father and a warped view of each other. We don't shine. The Bible tells us that you're only going to love others like you love yourself. And the problem is we do love others like we love ourselves, but we hate ourselves. And we don't like each other. And Jesus is trying to get us straightened out to love ourselves so that we can love other people. And Jesus wants to give us authority, but he can't until we get all this sorted out because he said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples. Not by your Christian t-shirts. Not because of your Hillsong music playlist, uh, but, but because you love one another. But because you don't like each other, and you are tr constantly trying to avoid contact with one another, nobody's ever going to know that you're mine. I put you here so that the world would want what you got, but you hide it, and you hide out in them bunkers that you call churches on Sunday, and you don't ever go out into the world. And when you do go out into the world, you talk about the pastor, you talk about each other, you talk about the preacher on TV, and you don't let your light shine before men. So how's the world ever supposed to know that you're my disciples? This isn't complicated, church. you got to try to mess this up. The church used to really make it complicated when I came up. We had all these rules about how you, wasn't, how you were supposed to dress. Oh, boy. You couldn't go to movies. Couldn't wear jewelry. Couldn't cut your hair. And the truth is, we got way better at telling everybody that what we were against than we ever did about what we were for. Every evangelist I ever saw come to church preach would always be preaching against stuff. What none of them ever preaching for stuff. What we stood for, what we believed for. They were always preaching against something. So we had a whole list of stuff that we didn't do. But nobody was ever supposed to tell us what we were supposed to do. And we, we seemed to spend all of our time trying to prove that it, to each other that we weren't worldly. I'm not worldly. 
I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't have no tattoos. I don't have no piercings nowhere. I don't go to the movies. Oh, here was a big one when I was a kid. I don't mix bathe. That means girls and boys swimming in the same place. We wasn't allowed to do that either. And so we would try to prove to each other how unworldly we were. And we would tell everybody what we don't do. We had a list of everything we don't do. Oh, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss and I don't have tattoos and I had a personality bypass. And I'm a Christian, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. I just know what I don't do. I can tell you everything that I avoid, but I don't know what I'm put here for. And in fact, it's so hard for me to keep these rules, and I'm trying not to sin, and I'm trying not to cuss nobody out today, and I'm trying not to have lust in my heart, and I'm trying to get through this day without shooting somebody. So Jesus, would you please hurry up with the rapture before I mess up again and do all this stuff that I really want to do? And it's amazing to me how we used to think that we don't know what we should be doing, but bless God, I didn't cuss nobody out today. And Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and died on the cross and rose again from the dead so the preacher would wear a suit and tie and not get tattoos. So that's awesome. And we don't know what to do, so we build a little defense fortress around us to call the church to protect us from the big bad world because we don't want worldliness to get in. And we put lights on the stage and it's worldly. And we, and we stop singing Redback Hymnals and those new Christian songs are worldly. How do you get worldly out of a song talk about Jesus? Because I've heard some of the worldly songs, they don't talk about Jesus. So what our definition has become perverse, but the problem is, we don't read the Bible. But if we ever accidentally did read the Bible, here's what we'll find that the Bible calls worldly. Lying, cheating, stealing, envy, greed, lust, gossip, slander, sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, discord, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, fits of rage, unforgiveness, bitterness, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, boastful, abusers, not having love, being rash, being conceited, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. There's not much in there about how long your hair's supposed to be, sister, or whether you should wear makeup, or whether we could dance. There, there's, not, there's not one word in there about the style of music we're supposed to play in the church or what kind of clothes the preacher should wear there's nothing in here about being pre-trib mid-trib or post-trib there's nothing in here about whether we should be Pentecostal or Baptist about whether we should have a big church or small group church there's nothing in here about Hillsong music or hymnal music there's not much in there about that but what there is in there is that Jesus told us to be in the world but not be part of the world that's what's in there So we build these sanctuaries to hide in so the world don't get us. But the problem is when we come into the sanctuary, we bring us with us. And we're not getting tattoos and we're not drinking and we're not smoking and we're not cussing. But we got pride and dissension and quarreling and fits of rage. Fits of rage. Oh, you're a Democrat. You're a Christian. Stop having fits of rage. 
So, 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 so we got all these external things. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't wear makeup because I'm not worldly. Really? Because it didn't take me very long in the church to find people who dress the part. Sleeves down to here, hymns down to here, and a tongue out to here that was forked on the end. I wasn't in church very long before I got very confused. And as a young person who was looking for a, a reason to exit anyway, some of those women gave me an excuse to quit. Because they dressed the part. But this list of, because they weren't worldly. You know what I've discovered about church? We define worldly as everything I don't like to do. So if I don't want to cut my hair, cutting your hair is worldly. And if I don't want to wear makeup, you shouldn't wear it either because it's worldly. And I want to dress to the nines to come to church so the preacher should too, or he's worldly. But we don't ever talk about gossip. We don't ever talk about jealousy. We, we don't ever talk about lust and envy and pride. We don't talk about any of those things, being worldly. But that's what the Bible says is worldly. So instead of being in the world, because we're not, we avoid the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. But because we don't like the world and we're scared of the world, we're not in the world, but we're of the world. We're supposed to be deposited into it to make a difference by not being of it. But instead, we're out of the world, but of the world. Because we brought our attitudes with us. We cannot change a world we're not in. And let me throw this in. Nor can you change a world that you are the same substance as. I don't have time to go there, but Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, not only are you a light that is on a hill, but he also said you are salt. Your light and your salt. You know what light and salt are? They're change agents. Whatever they come in contact with, when light comes into contact with darkness, it changes darkness. When salt comes into contact with food, it changes the flavor of food. Why? Because it does not take on the element of the food. The food takes on the element of it. I wish I had a witness in this church. Light never backs down from darkness, but darkness backs up from light. Why? Because light refuses to take on the element of darkness. Light cuts through the darkness and says, I'm here to represent what I came to do. And if somebody's going to change here, it won't be me. It's going to be. So not only can we not change the world that we're never in, but you cannot change a world that you are not part of or that you become an agent of them. See, if you, if you are the same substance you come into contact with, you'll never change that substance. You have to be different. And by the way, if you want to know if you're doing it right, ask a sinner. You ever notice the sinner knows exactly how a Christian is supposed to act? And they are quick to point it out when you're not acting right. And what we've done... What we've done is we've taken all the salt and poured it out in the same place. It's called the church. And we don't spread the salt anywhere else. We only want to be where we're safe. Where I feel appreciated. I'm out of that marriage because I didn't feel appreciated. I left that job because I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel safe 
in that relationship. I got out of that relationship. I didn't feel safe on that street, so I got out of that street. And we only want to be deposited into the church where we feel safe. Christian, you're not called to be safe. You are called to be dangerous to the gates of hell. If you want authority to be safe, you don't need authority. You need to hide under the bed. Authority is so that you can walk into darkness and say the gates of hell will not prevail here because I have brought the anointing and the Holy Spirit of God into this place. But what we've done is we've taken all the salt. I love steak. I love steak. I love steak. But you know you can ruin a steak by putting too much salt on it. I like salt on the steak, but I don't like too much because it becomes unpalatable. And can I tell you that the church has become unpalatable to the world because we've dumped all the salt in the same spot and nobody is out sprinkling a little here and sprinkling a little there. And we think the only people supposed to win the lost are pastors and missionaries. And all of a sudden, we use scriptures to judge the world, justify feeling superior to them. And then the pastor reminds us that we're supposed to be a witness and we get guilty. So we pick four weirdos out of the congregation. We're going to send them out to evangelize the neighborhood. We'll get four of these spunky people that likes to dance the Ron Halls of the church. We'll put them out. And we'll give them a fistful of Romans Roads tracks. And they're going to go evangelize because it's evangelism night. So we let down the gate in the front of the moat on the castle that we call the church because it's evangelism night. We got to let the drawbridge down. Hurry up and get it back up before the worldly gets in. And we'll send them out there to knock on doors, to talk to some poor guy who's worked 70 hours this week, and we just woke him up from his nap. And he comes to the door, and we shove a tract in his face. Did you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And unless you say this incantation prayer with me right now, you're going to die and go to a devil's hell. But oops, it's 9 o'clock, and I'm about to turn back into a pumpkin. i got to get back to the church. If you want to look like me and preach like me and sing like me and dance like me, you come see me at 1030 on Sunday over at Promise of Victory. See you later. And we call that evangelism. We've built no relationships. It's nobody we know. And we say we did our job and we draw the drawbridge back up. Doo, 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 doo. And we've evangelized the whole neighborhood. Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they can see my glory. And 99% of us thinks that it's somebody else's responsibility to win the lost. I'm going to get out of your way after I show you this one more scripture. John chapter 18, verse 37. Pilate asked Jesus a question said, are you a king? Jesus said, you say rightly I'm a king. But it's what comes next. It was for this cause. It was for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world 
that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Church, there is a cause. And it is to rescue dying souls from hell. And for a long time, we have been light to light because that's where we felt safe and that's where we felt edified and that's where we felt appreciated and we have just came into church. And listen, I love Pentecostal preaching and I love Pentecostal worship and we have done it all and we've had the, the, the sweeps of the Holy Spirit where we, we just, we're just light to light to light to light and the Holy Spirit shows up and electrifies the room. But that season is over. You know why? Because the enemy has turned up the temperature of this world because he knows his days are numbered and he is trying to take as many souls to hell with him as he possibly can and it is time that the church of the living God stood up and said I know you're saved and I'm glad you're saved I know I'm saved and I'm glad I'm saved but it's time for us to make room for people who don't yet know the king of kings and the lord of lords because they are more important than church Jesus didn't come to make us safe he came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness and what starts here can change the world do you know that the studies show that you're going to meet 10,000 people in your life? If you, only, if you only make a difference in 10 people, and those 10 people make a difference in 10, and those 10 people make a difference in 10, do you know that it, by essence and by proxy, you can influence 250,000 people with your life by making a difference in 10? What, what happens here can change the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness. We hadn't been here very long. Remember when uh, Steubenville Mall used to be a mall? Now I'm not sure what it is. It's just a weird conglomeration of randomness. There's like a putt-putt course and a cell phone thing and, and a floor that goes uphill four different directions. It's like you climb a mountain and then you come down the other side and you're indoors but you remember when the mall was a mall right we hadn't been here very long and we were at the mall one night and the lights went totally out and we were in the middle of the mall no 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 windows or anything and it was dark anyway outside you know what happens when the light goes out and you're unfamiliar with the territory you don't just keep walking like you were before I mean I don't know how I was walking that night I could have had my Fred Sanford on I'm not sure you, you're confident when the light's on. Dare I say cocky. You ain't got no worries in the world when the lights are on. You see where you're headed. But the moment the lights go out, you start worrying about things that may be there that you can't see. You slow your pace. I myself always try to get up against the wall because I don't want nobody running over me. I've seen them all walk. I didn't want that one of them come plowing through, knock a preacher out. I didn't want that. I get up against the wall. I'm kind of sliding the, because you can't see. You realize the whole world is out there today and can't see. They think they're walking in arrogance. They're walking in confidence. They think they've got it all figured out, but they are spiritually dark. And you and I, we've got the answer. But the problem is, People are sitting in pews today, and the power's out. And if your power's out, how are you ever going to show the light to somebody else? Would somebody please 
turn on the lights. I know I've preached a long time. I'm not going to keep you any longer. But some of you need to hear this. God, in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says he, he sets the habitations of our being. That means you're not where you are by accident. He puts you exact. He deposits you. I don't even have time to do, to, to do this. He deposits you. He plants you exactly where you are for His glory. And some of us are trying our level best to get out of what He Himself put us into. I'd hate to be God. It's hard to shop for folks these days at Christmas time. Could you imagine God's list? He, he's got people without jobs asking for a job. Folks that's got a job saying, God, will you get me out of here? Got single people. God, would you send me a spouse? Got folks that are married. God, would you kill him? Church don't believe in divorce. God, can you send a lightning bolt or something? Just get me me loose. I mean, can you imagine? I can't hold about nothing for my wife. God's list has got to be enormous because he can't please people who don't understand their purpose. If you're walking in authority, it's for somebody else. It's not for you. You can work with anthrax if you dressed right. You can go to space Everybody's doing it these days. Space used to just be a NASA thing. Now you can just hitch a ride. Go down to either Bezos or somebody else and just be coming by. Hey, I'm on my way to Mars. You want to ride? Sure. It's not a special event anymore. You just pay some money and hitch a ride like you're going to Tampa. Everybody's trying to get somewhere that they're not when God is trying to call you to be right where you are and give the best that you have in your authority. You can survive that marriage. You can survive them kids. If I could survive this one, you can survive any of your kids. Would you stand with me all over the building? I know I preached a long time. One minute, one hour and one minute. And then when I'm done, they're going to say, no, we started that late. Oh, it was on time today. Okay, I preached an hour. I'm, I apologize. I came to pulpit today and said, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to be short. I just can't help myself. I know we're kind of spread out. You can't reach people too easy, but you can see people. I want you to look to your left, your right, look in front of you and behind you. Smile at somebody. Make them think you like, you, you like Jesus. Do you see all them people? Those are people that are in your life for a reason. There's a purpose for you being in their life, and there's a purpose for them being in yours. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Some people are only in your life for a season. They, they were part of a chapter of your story, not the whole story. But where you are, you're, are you're, you're on a mission. 
And the authority that God puts you in or puts on you is to be used right where you are. When God graduates you, you'll use authority there. Until then, you take authority where you are. You use authority where you are. By the power of God and His Holy Ghost, let me just commission every person in this room. You are set forth from this day forward as an ambassador of heaven to take authority over the enemy to remove stumbling blocks of offense out of your life and the life of those you love and care about. The words of your mouth will make demons tremble. And every prayer that you pray will shake heaven open and blessings are going to fall to earth because of the way that you connect with God. People are going to be blessed because you have been deposited into their life. When those that speak ill of you open their mouths in offense to you, you will shut the words of their mouth because you're going to pray for them who spitefully use you and let God handle your opponents. Every time the enemy ramps up an attack against you, you're going to be able to handle it. You're going to clothe yourself in righteousness. You're going to put on the full armor of God every day. And you're going to walk in your God-given authority. Balance is going to come into your life from this day forward and you're going to be able to see things the way that God intended you to see them. You're going to see clearer because you're going to see with spiritual eyes instead of looking with emotional eyes and eyes of the flesh. You are going to be, you are going to be engrossed with the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to tell people you're sorry and not expect apologies back. You're going to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He's going to raise you up. You're going to stop arguing with people who need a light. And instead of giving them facts and opinions, you're going to give them Jesus. You're going to be healing for the wounded. You're going to be sight for the blind. And you're going to be the lights of the world. You're going to be that in your home. You're going to be that in the workplace. You're going to be that at the market. You're going to be that on social media. Angels are going to encamp around about you. And even your enemies will realize that you are blessed. From this day forward, your relationships are going to change because you speak favor into them. You're going to stop complaining about how bad the relationship is and you're going to start speaking favor over it and you're going to watch God's Holy Spirit do what you can't do, which is change hearts because you're going to be a light in darkness. Your children are going to become obedient. Yeah, there'll be a season when they'll stray, but you're going to continue to be a light. Instead of trying to wrestle them back, you're going to love them where they need to be. You're going to see prosperity in every area of your life, even if it means you don't get financially blessed. Your mind is going to be clear. Your spirit is going to be excited. And you're going to usher in the presence and the authority of God everywhere you go. I commission every person in this room to be the light of the world. They need
whether they ever make it into this room or not, if they come in contact with you, they've came in contact with Jesus. And if you can receive that and accept that call this morning, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Look at a couple of neighbors and say, you look like the light of the world. Would you do that? Just say, you look like, you look like the light of the world. You look like the light of the world. Yeah. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Special, special services next Sunday. Bishop will be here. We're going uh, to acknowledge our staff. We're going to have Jeff Wolf here that night. Baptism coming up. If you want baptized, uh, let us know. We've got a lot uh, going on. We're going to be a lot more socially enabled now that we've made a couple of hires and done some things. And, and uh, um, we're, we're able to uh, uh, get more advanced. You're going to start seeing more technology on Sundays when I'm up here. And, and, and we're listen, God's doing a thing. And there's a world of darkness out there that needs to be brought into the light. Will you help Jesus bring them into the light? Will you do that? Will you do that? God bless you. Promise of victory. I love you.